And I am Aware Now. Aware Now, the official platform for causes. Tune in and turn it up as we raise awareness one story at a time for the causes that tie us all together. A mother, a widow, and an inspiration to all, Dusty Lindsley is the mother of six children who lives to love. Bringing hope to others is how she heals by empowering the lost to embrace and find themselves amidst the chaos. By example, she leads by carrying on. People come and go in and out of our lives. I remember as a freshman in high school, the way I go high school, when you came into my life as a force, both on the volleyball court and on the track, I was inspired. You were beautiful inside, outside, and you were not only the athlete I wanted to be, but the person I wanted to be. You made quite an impression on me. And I don't think I've shared that with you before now. So there's that. <laughs> um, you know, so I, I guess to share that story and then ask you to share one of your own, Dusty, who was it that made an impression on you when you were young? That's a great question, and I'm not sure I've ever asked myself that. So it's it's good for me to think about this. No, you didn't share that before with me. And so just on the flip side, I think, really? Me? <laughs> and then, like I shared with you in a previous conversation, um, I just, as an athlete, you just, you blew my my brain away. I couldn't, I couldn't believe how great of a, a runner you were. And I just I remember talking about that. Um, you're so fast. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> it was a gift given to you. Um, so that I initially, when you when you asked me that, I think like athletically or like somebody that I aspired to be like, and I can't really think of anyone. But if I think about it a little bit harder, um, I there are just there's many people that leave impressions in our life, and they can be good and bad. Mm -hmm. um, I. I think about, um, I guess the bigger picture, I, my dad and I weren't very connected emotionally, but my dad is very present in my life. And so that in itself made an impression on me that my dad, I don't necessarily look at my parents' marriage and be like, wow, that was a marriage made in heaven and they're really connected and but I wanna be like my parents. But my dad was always there. My dad worked really hard for our family and he, he was a disciplinarian. He was at all of my games. Um, in his own weird way, I knew that he loved me. Um, but I watched my dad's work ethic. And, um, you know, he didn't call in sick, he didn't sit on his butt, I don't remember him watching TV. He was always working hard. And on top of that, I remember, so I grew up on a, on a farm, we didn't farm it, but I grew up on a farm. My dad started this motorcycle, uh, motocross track in what used to be the cow pasture. And it was very hilly. And my dad would go out every evening and run that and is like cut off jean shorts. I mean, it's a different attire than it is today. <laughs> and I remember he would run hard and he would come, he would end at the house between the house and the maple tree and yell because he ran so hard. It was like, Wah! and I was like, what is that? And I remember watching him come in glistening with sweat and um, just kind of, he just like 
gave it his all. And I can imagine as a, he's a Vietnam War vet, um, he seen things that we will never see and his life wasn't easy, his home life and stuff wasn't easy. And I can imagine that was a huge outlet for him. Um, and that he he did it and he did it hard. I just rem I just remember that about him. And even my grandmother, his mom, she lived behind us. And my grandmother was always working and always busy. And that's what led her to lead, lead a pretty healthy life for a really long time. Um, and I, it's not like I thought, oh, I want to be like my grandma or I want to be like my dad. But those were people that I was around all the time, especially my grandmother. Mm -hmm. And I think that they taught me without knowing, without me really realizing, they made an impression in my life that... Um, that you can do more than you think mm -hmm. and um, and to work hard and to be uh, fruitful, I guess, with, with your time. Um, and then I go, sorry, this is long, sorry. <laughs> you go back to high school and so I think about that and um, I didn't, I, I look back, I have a few friends that they were different and they didn't follow the normal crowd. And I couldn't put my finger on it then, but I can now. And actually, my husband, Mark, was one of them. I was friends with Mark, and we had the same circle of friends because we all rode the track bus together and we yeah. all class together. But there was something different about Mark. And I thought he was shy in high school, which is hilarious because he wasn't. That's how well I didn't know him. But there was something different about him. And I feel like he had... I don't know if you say convictions or boundaries that he set in his life that he lived by and he didn't sway back and forth and there's a few other people maybe in high school that I think that they left an impression on my life because they stood strong in their convictions and I think I I wanted to be like that and I probably thought I was a little bit because I was a good girl um but I learned later in life that uh those convictions weren't strong enough because um they didn't they didn't hold me and I definitely, you know, I think about that and I think there are, those are, there are people who are really sure of themselves. There are people who act like they're sure of themselves. Like my sister, huh. she wasn't sure of herself. She was a lost soul when I, I mean, when I really get into it, um, these people were sure of themselves. I mean, they probably didn't think that, but they had something that other people didn't have. Mm -hmm. And um, they weren't always really worried about what other people Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. um, that's what came to mind. That was a lot. <laughs> well, that was a lot of good stuff. Yeah. But yeah, I, I hear you. Those people who who have that are grounded. That yeah, as you work. as you said, though, I like um, that have these boundaries that they've set that they will not, you know, exceed. And um, so great, great lessons. And and it's interesting how you say that they're things that you learned. Um, even though you didn't know perhaps that you were learning them, right. you know, and I think that so many lessons in life come to us that way. Um, you know, so let's talk more about that. Let's talk more about the fact that there are people who leave marks in our lives. For you, it was Mark who mm -hmm. left a very permanent mark. Please share this story between the two of you. That's a long one too. Where do you want me to start? <laughs> However you would like to share this story, I leave this to you. It really could get long. Um, so, okay. So like I said, this, this, I, I brought my tissues. 
<laughs> and I'm not, um, I'm kind of a prideful person and they don't show my emotions very well. Sorry. And I'm learning that it's okay. And I'm not going to say sorry. <laughs> <laughs> don't say sorry. Right. I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry for having a heart and being able to talk about it. Um, I met Mark in high school. As we have already um, talked about, I remember the first time I saw him and I remember what he looked like and I remember what I was wearing. Isn't that funny about girls? That's awesome. <laughs> I, could, I could tell you what I was wearing. My hair was up in the ponytail because I was getting ready for basketball. It was two a days. And uh, we were freshmen. So I went to high school with Mark, but I, like I said, um, and we rubbed elbows and we were in the same circles, but I did not know Mark very well. Um, I have lots of pictures. We're in the same pictures. Mm -hmm. You know, at the same event, but I didn't know him very well. Although I did sit with him on the way back from the senior trip. There's a picture of that. And I couldn't tell you what we talked about, but I'm sure it was, I'm sure it was a good time because Mark's a good conversationalist. But um, anyways, uh, so we knew each other in high school and then went our separate ways. Um, I went off to Boston to be a nanny because I thought that I needed to travel the world and you know we're very um it's funny when you're kids you think you have these expectations of what your life is going to be like mm -hmm. and um i definitely wanted to i definitely wanted to act on it i didn't want to talk about how oh, i'm going to leave this place and i'm going to do this and that i wanted to do it and so that was and i i loved kids and stuff so i was going to go be a nanny anyways he went to cornerstone college after nannying, which didn't last very long for various reasons, um, I came back and went to school. He graduated, he went off to Alaska. I graduated and um, barely, <laughs> not because I wasn't a good student, because another crazy traumatic episode in my life is when my sister was murdered in the uh, fall of 99. And I just, just had to get through. And so um, I did graduate, I had very uh, understanding professors mm -hmm. and um, felt like my mom wanted me to be home. And so I stayed home. Looking back on that, I realized I wanted to stay home. I wanted to be home. Um, and I turned down some, some uh, um, design uh, opportunities for work and just stayed home. Mm -hmm. um, which is awesome because Mark came back from Alaska uh, to get some more flight certifications from his grandfather who lived in Nuego and his sister was attending a church called River Valley Church. River Valley, sorry, I mumble sometimes. And my best friend was going to church, which in itself was a huge deal because I was brought up in the church and would bring her to church when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't attending church anymore. And she was like, Dusty, you gotta come. This pastor's awesome. I'm like, okay. I'll come. And um, Mark started attending there in this because he was temporarily home. Mm -hmm. And his sister went there. And my best friend, Julie, mm -hmm. um, and his best friend, Jason, were dating. And they were engaged and they were getting married. Mm -hmm. And um, so we had, we kind of re-met there. And we started talking a bunch. I was training for my first marathon. Julie thought we should run together. I thought, he does not want to run with me, Julie. But he called me and said, how far do you want to run, Dust? Dust. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a nickname. It's kind of a pet name. And we were not, I don't know why he called me Dust, but in our marriage, he called me Dust all the time. It was very endearing to me. And um, I said, okay. And he did. He ran. It was getting dark. It was kind of hard. You know, it was 
hard to fit those miles in and kind of lonely when you get on those long runs. Mm -hmm. And he started running with me. And I don't, I don't know, I don't know if you've ever trained for anything long like that or, or whatever, but um, when you start running with people, I have had, you develop a bond with people because mm -hmm. those long miles, you gotta talk about something. And so I've, I've developed many friendships through running just because you're kind of just forced to talk to each other. And we talked about our friends getting married. We had friends who were already getting divorced. We talked about that. And we talked about my sister because it was still pretty fresh. And um, we had both been interviewed by the state police for, that's a whole other story. Um, uh, and so we ha we had that to share and, and we're in just catching up on life for the last five years or so. And at that time I was a single mom. Okay. I had a four-year-old and, um, and so life was just, we just talked about life. And we really learned a lot about each other and what what we viewed or wanted in uh, marriage and in life and our views on you know divorce and, and parenting and all of that stuff. And through that process, um, which lasted, it was October, November, and the marathon was in December, um, I learned, because I was kind of floating through life, Ellie. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was like, uh -huh. uh, I didn't really know what I was should be doing or I was a single mom. I felt like I didn't have my act together. Um, I was living at home with my parents. Mm -hmm. I was doing side work. At least I earned my own money, you know, but I just wasn't sure about what I was doing. And through that process of running with Mark and really getting to know him, I knew that I wanted to marry somebody like Mark. I did not think it would be Mark because I had lived my life according to myself. I did, wasn't living my life right. I was a single mom. Which I never, I wanted to save myself for marriage. I want, I mean, I had different expectations and I had let myself down. Um, and, he, but he, he saved himself for marriage. He was a good guy. He, I don't even know how to explain Mark. He just, um, he was just everything that you would want. He was athletic and good looking and he loved the Lord and he had great relationships with people. I don't think he had an enemy on this earth. Mm -hmm. And I just thought those two are not going to match, but I want somebody like him because he was, he was the word strong. I would say strong in so many aspects of, of his life. Anyways, um, uh, probably about February, uh, he, we are, we got to pseudo date through our best friends dating because mm -hmm. we were the best man in the maid of honor so we got uh -huh. to spend a lot of time together and he taught me how to play euchre and he taught me a lot of things we he really did um and then he asked me out and it blew my brain he asked me out and i thought really you, do you know what you're getting into <laughs> <laughs> and um he uh we dated for six months and he proposed to me and there was no cameras around. <laughs> we did old fashioned style. It was just us. <laughs> he proposed to me and I said yes. And 10 weeks later, we got married. Mm -hmm. um, I think Mark's biggest fear was uh, being a stepdad. And, um, but what I've learned through, I've been reading through a lot of, um, going through a lot of stuff because we moved and, I have stuff for two people. I have to go through all this stuff and it's going to be quite a process, but, and we wrote each other letters, a ton, cards and letters. And now I guess it's texting, right? But, um, and we talked on the phone a lot. He 
really wanted to be a good husband and he really wanted to be a good um, father. And so going into this as, as a stepfather, he was really nervous that he couldn't, he didn't know what his role would be. Mm -hmm. and just the fact that he worried about that and he never stopped worrying about that. And I look back through these letters and I think it was, he really wanted to be a good husband um, and not just in the beginning, like through the whole, through the whole thing. Um, anyways, we got married and shortly after, I mean, we already had a kiddo, right? So we, we had Cora, Grace was named after my grandmother and my great aunt. And then we had Alaska a year and a half later. And while I was pregnant for Alaska, we entertained the thought of adoption. Um, but Mark thought it was crazy and I probably was. I knew it wasn't the right time. I just, we were just talking about it. Mm -hmm. um, we we lived in we lived in this little tiny called the crack house, but um, <laughs> that we renovated and in real estate was awesome to us at that time because it came out, it worked for us in the end and we moved to another farmhouse and had Allie. Two, I'm like two weeks from my due date, scraping paint off the walls, you know, um, getting ready to to live there. We lived there for a long time, <clears throat> but um, we did go through the the uh, adoption process you have to take a foster care class. Mm -hmm. And I will tell people that everyone should take that foster care class. Like what an eye opener to what's going on in our community and with these kids. I'm not saying adoptions for everybody. Um, I don't even know if it was for us, but um, we did go through with that process. Um, and so about a year later, they came to us with a, a sibling group and we took them on a respite uh, weekend. And I'm not sure, and it's a whole other story. Anyways, we, um, and I found out I was pregnant. And <laughs> Mark always wanted to have a little boy. And yes, he had a stepson, but it wasn't, and people can pick on me and say whatever they want to say uh, about this, but there's something about your own child that you come from your DNA. Mm -hmm. And um, and I didn't know if it was going to be a boy or a girl, but I was really hoping that we were gonna have a boy and we did. And um, yeah, so I went from three kids to six kids in nine months. And it was the roller coaster and I thought I was gonna lose my ever my mind. But this is about me and Mark, so we'll get back to that later. Um, I felt like when I turned 30 years old that Mark and I were really in a, a good place. People freak out about 30 and they freak out about 40, but I felt mm -hmm. like, um, we were on the same page. I felt like our marriage was really strong. Um, it felt really good mm -hmm. to be in those places because like, like, like we we're going to talk about, right? Like life is chaotic. Mm -hmm. um, adoption erupted that for many years. Um, but I feel like because Mark and I just feel like our base um, of what we wanted in our marriage and where, uh, where we draw our convictions from, our faith, um, allowed us to be able to work through that and always land on the same page um, mm -hmm. and uh, he owned his own business with aviation for a while then he went to business we went into business with somebody else and started flying for them he is a pilot by trade mm -hmm. um, and loved to fly just loved to fly <laughs> like he loved to play basketball like uh -huh. loved to fly. and I wish I had had that passion and flew more with him but I just didn't um he loved to fly. So when he was able to fly for this corporation that he was working for, and then shortly after that, um, 
he not shortly after he worked for them for a long time he really wanted to start his own business and mm-hmm. um work on his own he was a um a, uh, he worked for the faa as a flight examiner mm-hmm. flight examiner i guess it's a dpe designated pilot examiner so when you want to go get your pilot's license you have to take a test with somebody and it would be mark got it flies with you and he gives you an oral exam and you he has to pass you um and that was a goal of his that he finally met and he was really proud of that. And um, so he wanted to do that on the side and then fly for corporate, keep flying for corporate. So he did get a, a what's it called when you're, um, hang on, pause. Uh, a commercial, a commercial pilot license? Yeah, it's, it's, yeah but yes, but. Um, it's when you work for yourself and they, um, I'm sorry, my brain sometimes doesn't come up with the right words. <laughs> it's okay. You don't work, you're not employed by them. You're, he's self-employed and they hire yeah. him. Anyway. Right, right. So by contract, do contract. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. So he um, was contract pilot for this company for a few, and he loved it because he they pay for your training. You go down, it's a big deal. Like they put you in, he remember coming back from that training. He's like, I cannot believe they're letting me fly this. And, um, and it was so powerful, you know, it was mm-hmm. a, a Lear 60. And so he got to fly these Lear 60s all over the United States and he loved it. So um, I was a mom of six and I was home by myself a lot. Um, and, you know, Mark loved coming home and he loved being home, but he, you know, it was, it was a good job for him. Um, it was hard to be by myself, but, and Mark had said this before, he goes, you know, if you were anyone else, you wouldn't be able to handle it. But I felt like I was independent enough that I didn't need to have my husband patting my back all of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I can I can do this by myself, but it was always good for him to come home. Yeah. Um, and uh, he, gosh, he just he just makes connections wherever he goes. He um, he made a lot of connections in the aviation world and um, made a lot of friends and um, touched a lot of people's lives. I feel like he. Um, he asked people their stories. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he really did. And he likes to tell stories. So people really like to be around Mark. Um, then he started working for another company there about a year before he had gotten sick. And um, oh, we got backtrack a little bit. About six years ago, he, um, the best friends mm-hmm. that we were in the wedding for, their son, um, he had had a kidney, he was born with a kidney disease. And they knew he was going to have a transplant at some time in his life. Um, a lot of us went in to see if we were matches, a lot of family members and friends, but Mark was the best match. In fact, he was a really, really good match Mm -hmm. because you have to have tissue match and blood match. And so, um, wasn't something Mark necessarily wanted to do like, oh yeah, let's just cut myself open and give an organ to somebody. Mm -hmm. But he felt like this is something that he was supposed to do. And, um, He's like, well, we have two, right? <laughs> you know. <laughs> right. So Mark was a kidney donor um, to a 17-year-old kiddo who, after that, went on to play sports and even run in college. And then Mark, they said they'd never seen two people recover from a, a kidney transplant as quickly as these two. Oh. I, that was in June, at the end of August and Labor Day weekend. He was jumping picnic tables again, and um, wow. like, yeah, it just and so it never, it didn't alter his life. At all, he just couldn't take ibuprofen like candy anymore, right? And he needed right. a lot of water. So <clears throat> um, that happened. And I always think Mark always gets really weird sicknesses, but he always you know recovers. But I'm like, how in the world 
does this happen to you? And, and so it's kind of been an ongoing joke, joke in our marriage. I don't ever get sick, knock on stinking wood, right? Right. Um, he would get the weirdest things. And um, and then, anyways, so Mark worked as a pilot, and, um, and then he just, he loved playing basketball. He loved being with his family. Um, he loved being home with his family. So he would come home from trips and I'd be like, all right, you know, there's this great thing going on this weekend. We should go do it. And he would be like, no, I just want to be home. I just want to be home. I couldn't really understand that. And I tried to explain it to him, but I'm always home. Mm -hmm. Like, thank the Lord that I got to stay home with my kids, but I'm always home. Like, I want to get out. He wants to be home. When he was gone, I was in charge. When you come home, I'd have to hand the reins over. It was this constant... We're always constantly trying to shift back into our positions and shift back out and, uh-huh. and try to feel each other out. But I feel like I feel like we could do that. Like we were a good match. Not, not that our marriage was perfect. Like life was was really rough. I mean, we had things happen, and you know, and of course, life just happens, and it, it can knock you down, and it does knock people down. But um, I don't know. I feel like. We, I mean, we could, we got, we got through it. We got through it. Mm-hmm. And um, raising kids is hard. Raising adopted kids is really hard. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. I've watched people walk away from their marriage um, because they just couldn't handle it anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, thankfully, Mark never did that to me, <laughs> and 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 I never did that to him. But you can see. You can see how that can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so anyways, story of us. So we were married for almost 20 years and um, we raised six kids semi-successfully, right? <laughs> and um, we, oh gosh, we, we had fun. We really did. It wasn't always fun, but we had fun. I liked being with them. Mm-hmm. And then in, we just got back from a, a backpacking trip in Wyoming in the August of 2021, mm-hmm. 10 day backpacking trip. I mean, it's pretty mm-hmm. brutal. We were with mm-hmm. all of our kids in a large group. He didn't feel super awesome. He'd been feeling tired that year. And he uh, got up to pee a lot at night. <laughs> <laughs> zipper in the tent and I'm like I can't on the ground as it is stop getting up it's like I can't help it that was a that was a a definite sign of something that was going on um but I'm a little bit of a cynic when it comes to medical the medical world but um he we got back about five days later he had extreme pain in his back and um he he laid down, which is un, is not normal for him. And um, we ended up going to the ER. Um, they said that there was some sort of mass in his abdomen. Um, something was pressing on his uterus. Anyways, we had to go to a urologist. It was emergency surgery for a stent in his uterus, um, which probably helped for like 12 hours. <laughs> and then he didn't feel good again. And it was more emergency stuff. We ended up at ER. So 15 days in the hospital, a diagnosis of um, 
hey, on your one good kidney, you have a really large tumor and it's cancerous and um, it's killed the lymph nodes around it and basically it's already metastasized into your body. How does that happen? You don't even know it. It's so like, wild. How do you live a life where you're like, you won a basketball tournament three weeks before that and all of a sudden your kidney just shut down and you, you're gonna die? Like, I mean, you don't know when and that wasn't exactly said to us. Those are my words. Right. But day three of the hospital, they said, we got to put a, a CVC in your chest and you need to go on dialysis. That was, that was hard for him. Because like I said, you're just like, you live in your life. When you go right. on dialysis, you don't know if you're coming off. Like right. you are dependent on a machine to clean your blood. Your whole life changes. It was really dark. I left the hospital that afternoon to go to my kids first cross country meet. And I'm just like, you're just like walking in this, like really this fog. Like, what the heck just happened? And uh, I remember walking to the cross country meeting that we have, you know, friends there, friends from church and just friends from life. And um, you don't even have to say anything. You're just like, just hug you and just like, this is awful. How do you just like, that was just awful. And so that next day, he they put a CBC in, he did dialysis. Mm -hmm. um, it was awful and it was awful from then on out. <laughs> Um, we, we got home and we did training for in-home hemodialysis. So, um, we, it's, you know, three to five weeks of training and then you have a machine brought into your house, mm -hmm. you've got tubes and your office becomes a medical facility. Right. Um, you, I hooked my husband up to his, I guess it was his, to his, uh, bloodlines to his chest every single day for three and a half hours, five days a week, so that he could stay alive. Because it certainly didn't seem to make his quality of life better. And then on top of that, you find an oncologist and you start chemotherapy and you start immunotherapy. And I watched my husband go from this strong, active person to um, his body wither away. And, um, uh, like he can't sleep, he can't eat, and there's nothing you can do to help him. And your kids watch it, and it's awful. The one thing that didn't, like cancer can eat away at your body, and dialysis can, yeah, make you sick, whatever. <laughs> it just the one thing that it could it can't take unless you let it was his spirit and his heart and um he he never doubted God through the whole thing he cried out and I heard it I heard the man cry out you don't see that you don't see that in your spouse they have their quiet moments where they're not so strong but to listen to him literally like hit the table and cry like why it was hard and you don't have an answer and you will never have an answer but he he wasn't bad at god he just didn't understand it none of us did and so i i watched him the thing we learned early on is that you don't fight it it's just it's part of your life and you work alongside it and hopefully in the end, 
you surpass, you know, <laughs> and, uh, um, but anyways, that diagnosis led to many other health issues, including a broken back and back surgery. And this one, I thought he was getting better and gaining weight and, uh, some more muscle mass. Um, he had to have that back surgery and go off chemotherapy and everything went downhill from there. And, and when he was in the hospital, that's when he was told that we are just buying time. And I couldn't even be there with him. Like, how do you get that news from your doctor and you can't even be there with them? And I remember when we learned he had one dialysis, we were sitting in the hospital and he said, um, I said, we can do this, Mark. I can do this. <laughs> I've said that a lot in my life. <laughs> we just, we'll do this. We can do this. And um, he said, I don't want you to be my caretaker. I want you to be my wife. And I thought, yeah, I, I can, I can be both. Um, that's not true. <laughs> I mean, you, you shift to caretaker. You just do because that's like your priority. You need to make him feel better. You need to make sure he's eating. You need to make sure he's getting to the doctor. He doesn't even know the name of his medicine. Um, he trained for dialysis, but you can't remember it. So I, you have to do it all. And sometimes you forget to be his wife. And so that was, that was really hard. And if I could go back, which you can't, so you shouldn't even talk about it. But if I could go back, I would say, I would have focused less on, oh, what we have to do and um, just been with him. Like, I couldn't do any, I couldn't even sit next to him. He had to be in his recliner because his back hurt so bad all the time. I couldn't even, I couldn't sit by him. I mean, you could sleep in the same bed with them, but you can't, like, everything hurt. And I'm not, I wish I'd have just let him know how much I appreciated him and loved him. And that I didn't, I didn't want him to, I, did, I wanted him to know how much, like, I would miss him and that I wouldn't be okay. Cause he's like, you'll be okay. And yes, look, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I'm, I'm not, but you don't. You don't want to go through life on your on your own. I got married to be with my husband, and that's really hard. And I'm so mad <laughs> that my kids don't have their dad. Like I'm like I'm gonna have those kids who dad died in high school. Like, how do you recover from that? You don't. You don't recover. You just you relearn how to do life, and you just you just keep going. But I. I just feel like they were really, I feel like they were gypped, but I also feel like they were really blessed to have Mark as their dad. Um, they had, Allie had a strong bond with him with running and cross country. It was really hard for her to put those running shoes on again. It was really hard for her to go to college and decide she was going to run, but she, she's working through it and she's doing great. But, um, yeah, what about my son? You know, he's 15 years old. So I, uh, I guess that's our story in a nutshell. That's the story of us. Uh, I don't know. There's a lot of details, but well, it's it's a story of of strength. I think finding strength in each other, finding purpose, a story of commitment, a story of commitment for sure, of love. 
you can you pass me a tissue, please? Yeah, I wish I could, but I cannot. <laughs> Thank you for sharing so much, so deeply, so personally. Um, there, are, there are people who go through life and have experiences like these, and don't, and feel that they're quite alone, and feel like no one else feels this, no one else gets this, and alone they will remain until someone like you shares a story to say, "I hear you, I feel you, truly." So thank you for that. That takes strength. And you are stronger than you know. Tune into our podcast. Subscribe to our magazine. Find us and join us online. Visit IamAwareNow.com. We will no longer wait for permission to change the world. Together, we are Aware Now.